welcome to another episode of Woman Advantage. I am absolutely stoked to be joined by Erica Ayala. She covers the WNBA for The Athletic. She is often heard doing stuff with the NWHL as well. Uh, welcome, Erica. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, I was telling you before we got started, I'm really excited. You are the first person we've had on who covers basketball, and I'm a big fan of women's basketball, so this is great. Can't wait for the combo. I'll get started with, you know, kind of a softball question, but how did you get started in sports journalism? Yeah, so the it's kind of a, a story that I love to tell because there's so many women, but particularly women of color, that uh, got me to where I am now. Uh, but the story is that uh, I was an athlete all growing up, still still an athlete, you know, play a little beer league here and there. But um, I have two sisters, they're twins. And my sister Jessica, out of the three of us, is not very athletic, but got really into hockey uh, during the Olympics. And when she heard about the NWHL, uh, National Women's Hockey League, and that there would be a team at the time playing in Brooklyn, uh, you know, just became something that we could do together. Um, and so in watching that league, following the players, you want to read more about them. And I started just looking at different outlets, and there weren't many at the time, mostly smaller blogs. Even uh, the Ice Garden wasn't around at that time. But anyway, so uh, and I started engaging with these people on social media, and that led to people asking me to be on podcasts or even write um about the league, especially since I was, I had access to, to Brooklyn at the time where they played. And from there, things just kind of kept going. I took uh, opportunities as, as they were presented, and I was lucky enough to, to be given many. That's so cool. I love that. So your journey into hockey was, you know, through your sisters for the most part then? Yeah, through my sister. And then when I saw that game, um, I... It's, I got to see Blake Bolden play, and I at first noticed her because she was black, and I was like, oh, man, that's crazy. But uh, then I got to meet her. I've, I've been able to interview her over time. And hockey, yeah, that's the first sport, women's hockey specifically, that I was able to be a credentialed journalist for. And, and then that led to me finding opportunities in, in women's basketball as well. That's so cool. Yeah, Blake Bolden, she used to play for the Buttes and was my favorite player. I went yeah. out and bought her jersey and I she's so wonderful. I love yeah. her. Yeah. That's a good that's a solid choice right there for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, sad when she left um because I had just purchased my jersey and I was so ready to like have my season tickets and go see her play oh, again, but Yeah. yeah it, it's fine. <laughs> All good. Yeah. So, you mentioned you also cover the WNBA. Um what's that been like? That has been really cool. Um, again, it, it's one of those opportunities that uh, I wouldn't say I ever thought about or um, was looking for, but I just had the great opportunity to have a network that felt that, you know, maybe maybe this was something that I would enjoy. And so um, Howard Megdal is a writer that I had been reading. He does a lot of women's sports coverage. And so that's, he got me my first 
uh, credential for the Liberty game. But, you know, at the time going to Madison Square Garden and being able to walk into an arena that I went to as a child for WNBA games. I didn't go to a lot of Knicks games, but I went to a lot of Liberty games. And um, it was just a little bit surreal um, being there and then getting to interview women who I looked up to. And um, so, yeah, I'd say it's been a great ride from that perspective, coming from fan to, to sports writer. But now the things that make me excited are just being able to tell women's basketball stories. And so that's also been rewarding now that I'm a little bit older. I see it a little bit differently. Yeah, yeah. My younger sister played four years of Division One basketball and just like when she got to see WNBA games and watch women play sport at such a high level, it was always so exciting for her. So yeah. It's so exciting that it's expanding to like new levels now where it's not just women watching the game, but there's also like support from a lot of the men who play professionally as well. Yeah, absolutely. They just recently kind of renegotiated their CBA with the WNBA. Um, the players now have better workplace benefits and more pay, which is very great. And this CBA took a long time to kind of get to where it is now. What was it like covering the league kind of like during this time? Yeah, that was very exciting for me because before I became a sports writer and a journalist, I worked and I continue to do work in the nonprofit sector. So thinking of things like advocacy and kind of reading um a lot of what I read, whether it's um, political or um, policy adjacent or not, I always think of from an advocacy perspective. So to be around players that were getting more comfortable utilizing their voice to set the tone for what those negotiations would look like uh, or sound like was very exciting to me, um, given, given the work that I'd been doing for a while. And I think another thing is that I, I do tend to bring some of that advocacy lens, as I said, to to everything that I do. And so um, being able to utilize that experience to give deeper context to what some of the athletes were saying, some of the arguments that they were making, and maybe where those arguments could be uh, interpreted one way, I was able to utilize my experience to maybe break that down a little bit more and kind of talk to what CBA negotiations meant, excuse me, um, in the context of the history of the WNBA. So that was really exciting and, and um, lots of moving parts, but lots of complex stories. And that's, that's the type of storytelling that I really like to do. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, you've done a really good job covering it too. I've been you know, following your stuff on the athletic, and it's always fun to read. Thank you. So, in addition to your coverage of the WNBA and your writing about the NWHL, you are now an analyst for the league. What has that experience been like? That's been really fun. Um, kind of going off of what we were talking about uh, regarding storytelling, uh, I got into again sports writing through the National Women's Hockey League, um, the NWHL. And so just being around the team and through the storytelling that I was doing in my writing, um, I was given the opportunity to, um, to join a broadcast. I had no experience uh, playing hockey. So being able to articulate what's happening on the ice was a real 
challenge, but it was also very exciting. Um, but I think also what has been exciting for me is that I've been able to bring a unique, what I hope is a unique um, kind of flavor, if you will, to a hockey broadcast. And so for that reason, it's been a lot of fun as well. I always like a, a good challenge and something that I can also carve out and, and make my own. And so I think that that's what the National Women's Hockey League, as far as an analyst, uh, has been for me. Yeah, it's been so fun to kind of just like watch those broadcast teams grow and like just experience them um, as a as a fan. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's I love the Twitch streaming. It's so convenient. I can watch it, you know, wherever I am. And I, I live in Buffalo, but I can't always make it to the games because I travel for work. So it's really nice to know that I'm not going to miss a game just because I'm not around. There is a way to watch it. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's what's been great about the NWHL. They've always had ways to have access to the games. That has changed year over year as far as the different platforms, everything from YouTube to Twitter to, I think, Cheddar at one time. But what's unique, um, and especially you know, going off of the question about what it's like to be an analyst, is that if, if you're someone who maybe can't have the audio on uh, you can still join the chat or if you can't see a game live one of the, the, the reasons we might have people re-watching games is because they're not just listening to myself and whomever I'm working with but they also get to see how other fans are reacting to the live action and I think that's been really cool to have that more communal feel almost as if you like like when you go to a baseball game with a group of people you know you're talking about all kinds of things of course you're talking about the game but you're talking about the weather or how the team did last week or you know what you have coming up and, and, and so I think that that's been a really great way um, to engage fans this year yeah it's a good way for fans to kind of foster friendships through their shared connection to women's hockey but about other things as well absolutely you got started you know with being a hockey fan through women's hockey how would you describe you know women's hockey to someone who has never watched it before wow I would describe it as a really fast and physical game hockey I think for someone who didn't grow up watching hockey I always assumed that it was you know, kind of like boxing on ice. <laughs> At least that's the way, you know, men's hockey always was portrayed. And some people really like that. I'm just not one of them. I love fast games. That's why I enjoy college basketball, men's and women's college basketball, because the pace is just, I mean, it's almost, you know, like a whiplash pace at times. Um, sometimes it's frantic too, which I think also um, is hockey. And for me, those kinds of games can be really exciting. And so that's what I would say as far as women's hockey. Um, I'm not really one to get into the whole, what the difference between body checking is, because I don't know, for me, that's not the argument that I like to make. I think the, the beauty of hockey um, is the same thing that is beautiful about women's hockey. But if I were going to sell women's ice hockey alone, I would say that the difference is that I got to know the players of my favorite team, you know, right after the game. And I know that the men's side, most sports, when they start small, you still have that kind of intimacy with your community, with your fans. Um, but I think we're a long ways away from that in the NHL and Major League Baseball, um, other sports. But um, women's hockey for right now 
there still is that sense of community. I'd argue that it's really across women's sports. And so I think that, to me, um, really takes it back to its roots, that being sport, taking it back to its roots, where it is something that you do um, to fulfill a sense of belonging to a team, to a community. Um, and so I, I really like that about women's hockey. Yeah, yeah, it's it's such a fun game to watch. And I've never understood the argument that like women's hockey isn't as skilled as men's hockey. I would argue that often women's hockey is more skilled and like not as violent, which I don't think is a bad thing. Yeah. I I mean, again, I just think those, those conversations, they always come from such a male centric perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I think in a lot of ways I have the luxury of not having that as my experience. So those are never arguments that I feel that I have to make because without even knowing that was the, you know, using air quotes here, norm for the sport, I wouldn't have known. And I never got into men's hockey, but as soon as I saw women's hockey for the first time, I was hooked. I love that. That's so cool. And, you know, you kind of mentioned other women's sports, which leads into, you know, my next question. This is, seems to be like a really good time for women's sports in general. The U.S. national soccer team is one of the most recognizable teams in the country. The WNBA is one of the most fun leagues to watch. But sometimes it feels like women's hockey is at an impasse. What lessons can women's hockey and the leaders in women's hockey take from other women's leagues and other you know women's sports yeah that's a great and really interesting question because I almost feel as though you can divide it into two parts so the one thing is that women's sports arguably for the last uh, let's say four or so years I think you've seen whether intentional or not, a unification among women's leagues. And I think that's been really exciting for someone like me who covers multiple women's sports and, again, believes in that um, and and is, uh, is drawn to almost the advocacy aspects of women's sports. Now, I could go on a totally different podcast and argue why I hope that that isn't always a part of women's sports, but I'll spare, I'll spare that lecture for another day. Um, but... Putting that aside, at least for now, where women's sports is, because there is an advocacy element, or at least I think there there definitely is an advocacy element to women's sports, it's very exciting for me to see players associations be more direct in being player first and not just remaining as a, as a part of the league or under the umbrella of the league that they are, but really starting to own players' voice and to think player first. Um, not all women's leagues have a proper union as, as it would be characterized by definition, but all women's leagues have a players association that I think in the last several years has gotten much more comfortable having conversations. Um, as far as what hockey can glean from that, I, honestly, I think if you look at the history of women's sports, we are seeing parallels. And so I would implore, and I always do, women's hockey to take a look at the WNBA and the American Basketball League, the ABL. The ABL actually launched before the WNBA, or I should say there was a separation of roughly six months. Um, the ABL started at the traditional NBA basketball season, NBA college basketball season in, in the fall, uh, really through spring. Um, and the WNBA model, uh, of course, we, need, we continue to see that it runs in the summer. 
And I say that because the American Basketball League, ABL, I've talked to some of those women and they characterize that as a player's first league. It was independent. There were a lot of things that the ABL had early through their first two, almost three seasons, I guess, um, that the WNBA players just recently, some could argue, put in their CBA for the first time, meaning things like a a revenue split that was more equitable, things like the the women being able to, um, you know, have and earn some, some money from, from the likeness and from the league itself. So, so, I mean, again, uh, those types of things, things even like health coverage, some of the ABL women talked about being very different than the WNBA, but the difference of course, and why we know the WNBA is because the, the WNBA was able to last in their model. They were affiliated with the NBA. They were founded by the uh, NBA. They had NBA teams take on WNBA teams and they were playing in NBA arenas. I think that women's hockey right now, they're, they're following their, their timeline seems to be following pieces and elements of all of those women's sports. I mean, I could go into the women's national team in soccer and how they were integral in starting a women's league. And that women's league was very well funded, but very poorly managed. I mean, there's so many parallels. Again, that that would be a great, uh, you know, um, podcast of its own. But suffice it to say that I do think that the women in the PWHPA, which stands for the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, um, they they know that. They have followed the, the timeline of women's soccer very closely because of some of the connections that they have. I do think that the NWHL is also knowledgeable of, of that history. And I think what women's hockey will eventually, the success that will come from women's hockey is taking the best of what we've seen so far. And I think women's hockey will be in a unique position to do that where I don't think women's basketball has had to do that because, I mean, the WNBA is going into its 24th season. I do think soccer has had to figure that out as well. What's the best balance of being player first or um, having big sponsorships versus having stability? And so I think the women's hockey league Whichever, if it's the NWHL that continues, if the WNHL, which a lot of people presume would be the name, if the National Hockey League, the Men's League, were to ever take on women's hockey. Regardless, I think baseline, they should have as strong a CBA as the WNBA just got. They should have as many dedicated um, markets and broadcast opportunities as we've seen in women's soccer. And they should be able to continue to and have that flexibility and and that the integrity to the character of women's hockey and be very much involved in the community. I hope that that never leaves from women's sports. It's been something that I think a lot assume comes for out of necessity and, and as a means of survival. And I think that's probably true. But I also think that community in women's sports is is different, whether that's because of systemic issues that they deal with or not. I think that I would argue that women's sports will always be a little bit different. And I hope that the the women's hockey league that we get in the next 5, 10, 18 years, I hope they really lean into that. I feel like women's sports in general 
are a little different and I think they should continue to be a little different. Like you were saying, it's it's a different animal. Uh, a lot of times women do have to work a lot harder to get the attention that they deserve. But once that attention is paid to them, like seeing little girls' faces light up at realizing there's a, someone who looks like them playing their favorite sport, like that's just so important. Yeah, absolutely. It's always important, um, especially for, for girls. We can't ignore that, that unfortunately we have so many firsts, right? first woman to do this and the first woman to do that and first black woman to do this and that. And I mean, it's, it's 2020. Um, some of these leagues have been around for over a hundred years and we just getting our first woman scout um, that, that there's no need for that, especially the way our job market is, is broken down. So, you know, we, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but uh, you are a woman of color and hockey does tend to be a predominantly white sport. What advice do you have for women and girls of color who want to get into hockey? Uh, well, my first piece of advice would be to follow Black Girl Hockey Club and to follow Bill Douglas, um, also known as uh, the color of hockey. Uh, that, that's uh, the social media accounts. But Bill Douglas writes a color of hockey He's taken his blog, I should say, The Color of Hockey, and now writes it for NHL.com. And then Black Girl Hockey Club is doing a great job of having meetups in hockey spaces, but also focusing on educational opportunities and scholarship opportunities. So the reason I give those two first um, is because I perceive the, the challenge that any people of color are having as they get into hockey is that they don't see lots of people of color in hockey. And if you follow black girl hockey club, and if you follow the color of hockey, you won't think that anymore because they do a great job explaining that hockey um, is, and always has been very diverse um, when it comes to race, not so much gender working on that, but um, definitely when it comes to race and ethnicity now that there are individuals, but you know we still have never had our first um, all-black line in the NHL. So, um, but but I think having that education and not feeling alone is going to then allow people to be open to other things that they should do, like networking and getting to as many games, live games as possible, and, and stuff like that. But I think the first thing is definitely the exposure and the education. And yes, I think mainstream media, especially, and even NHL teams can do a better job of showcasing the diversity that already exists in the sport. And that's part of the problem. Um, but that notwithstanding, there are some amazing resources and Bill and Renee Hess, who's the founder of Black Girl Hockey Club, are, are two of the best at it. Yeah, yeah. I People should definitely go follow them and support them because what they're doing is not just really important, but it's also just like very cool. Like their work is yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of fun together. So I'm very thankful to um, consider them mentors of mine. That's awesome. That's awesome. You mentioned that, you know, hockey has always had a bit of diversity in, you know, racial background, but we're working on, you know, making it more gender diverse. Um, What do you think that can be done to make 
the hockey culture more inclusive to people of all backgrounds and all genders and, you know, all walks of life? Yeah, well, again, I think Renee is doing such a great job. So my, my similar advice would be just to engage with women who are already in the space when it comes to what to do is to also uh, refer to Black Girl Hockey Club and to Renee Hess um, to um, find do that in an authentic way. I think that there have been teams, not just in hockey, but um, that have tried to uh, do some of that, but have kind of fallen short because presumably there weren't many, if any at all, women that they were able to consult on how to market to women. Um, And I think that is something that the sport should be more open to. And Renee, I know, is someone that seems to be trusted throughout the hockey landscapes, particularly on the men's side. So I commend her for, for doing that. But I also think that the sport benefits from highlighting all of its players and the unique aspects that they bring. I think that the the sport could do better even highlighting players that are not from North America. There's so many beautiful um, styles of hockey and some of them are particular to the country that you play for or the country that you play in. So I think um, while Renee is a great uh, start I think while thinking about going to the women and again, all people that represent um, diversity in the sport is a good start. I also think there has to be a willingness of the sport to put in the work as well and utilize those of us that are are diverse as resources, but not as a crutch um, and not as an excuse to not do the, the, the important work and the rewarding work of learning where we can be more supportive of each other. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you mentioned that you don't follow men's hockey, which I think is awesome. (laughs) Definitely not very closely. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But last night they did have an all-female broadcast team. Yes. But it's also hard to not notice that that broadcast team was also all white. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And the NWHL, uh, you guys aren't all white. You know, there's there seems like there's a diversity of backgrounds, at least a little bit in you know, in your league, in that league. What are you guys doing that's different that, you know, includes more people of different backgrounds? Wow, that's an interesting question. And, you know, one that uh, is, I I just want to acknowledge is a little tough for me to answer only because Mm -hmm. I'm kind of in it. Um, But also that I'm not necessarily a a decision maker. Um, But what I think women's hockey. And I'm actually, I ask these types of questions a lot. I think what women's hockey does that can be good, but also um, should be balanced is that women's hockey, again, going back to that advocacy point that I've made in in our conversation, um, there's, there's this sense of responsibility to be faithful and first and foremost, to women's hockey, Um, and that any of the gripes, whether they're on the ice or um, otherwise, to try to limit how how any of those spats come about and to always protect the sport. So in that way, I don't think that women feel and, and certainly have never experienced racism on the women's side and always 
players, women of color that I speak to have experienced that or their family has experienced that on the men's side. Um, so I think that women's hockey, just there's a little bit of a different understanding. That said, I think there is still a complacency on what that actually means to be more inclusive and to um, be respectful, not just quote unquote tolerant. So I do think women's hockey, all of hockey can do a better job at that. And as far as the NWHL, I don't know exactly that there was any approach to being more diverse. I think I just happened to get a call about being an analyst and I happen to be a black Latina. Um, I think that if you look at who is in the media core, Uh, same thing. I think these are women, any women who identify as women of color are women who enjoy hockey. And so we've brought ourselves to the table. And because of the work that we put in, we've been able to continue to be at the table. And so that said, I think that I would love to see another of color, another black person on an NWHL broadcast. There aren't many opportunities for that other black person or person of color to be a player. Um, and I, I think that's, again, just the challenge that the sport of hockey has right now. But are there opportunities to have coaches or other analysts also be black people or people of color? I, I don't know. I don't know how many. Honestly, there are um, people of color, black people, but certainly women of color and black women who are confident and capable to be on a hockey broadcast. So going back to the NHL, I did listen in. Um, I did listen into the broadcast. And what I loved about that NHL call is that part of the reason I don't watch uh, men's hockey is because I don't, I don't, this is maybe weird to say, but the best way I can explain it is that I don't speak the language of the, of the broadcasters, of the analysts, um, because I'm not a hockey fan, right? So the way that they call a game, if it's very hockey specific, it might not always resonate with me. Whereas I felt that last night there was storytelling. And I think I've, if there's anything that I've, I hope to convey, it's that I like, I like a good story and I hope to tell good stories. And yesterday felt more about storytelling to me, but also very very um, respectful of and knowledgeable of hockey culture. I think having Kendall Coyne Schofield um, in between the glass and being able to break down and add more to the color commentary of AJ was fantastic. I mean, AJ did a great job of, of setting Kendall up to explain exactly what she saw ice level. And I thought that those different elements, even just the layers of storytelling, I I don't think I've ever heard that on a hockey call before. And I was excited. And is it because those were all women? Well, I mean, that is definitely the the one thing that stands out. But um, I also just think it's it's having the, the right kind of people who have a unique way of calling hockey and they are able to make it their own. So that was really exciting, honestly, for me um, coming right off of a hockey game myself. So um, I was glad that I was able to listen in a little bit and, and learn from, from that uh, broadcast. It's always interesting to see the different ways that broadcasters approach their broadcast. And it seems like in the past and still now, a lot of hockey broadcasts tended to be very set kind of ways that the broadcast happens. Yeah. And 
newer broadcasts have kind of taken a different spin on it and are trying to be more innovative. But that broadcast last night just felt, like you said, like you were watching a story. And hockey is a narrative sport. Like all sports have narratives running through them. And being able to have that actually portrayed in the broadcast was really cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. And again, the layers of I love I love what you said there, right, that um, sports in general are these narratives that we can spin. And that also includes how how a play builds up. Right. So you can go from how a play is building up on the ice, what was successful, what execution didn't follow. But you do an even better job of that if you go to practice. And if you happen to know that a core of players, maybe it's one or two lines, was working on a specific play. And if you know that and you can ID that in a game, then you can tell why maybe it was successful or honestly, if it wasn't, you know, who doesn't love a good failure story Mm -hmm. as well. Um, But then if you can also build off of that and say, well, actually, these two line mates went to this college together, or they grew up in the same hometown together, or their fathers are, you know, in a music band together, or whatever the story is, I think that that's what makes sports fun. And I think you're right that sports across the board is embracing that. But again, I think in the culture of women's sports, we've always had that. So Welcome to welcome to the family, everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, you are newer into sports broadcasting and into, you know, writing about it. Um, what mm-hmm. advice do you have for women who are trying to get started in sports? I think my first advice would be to follow as many women in the sport whose style you enjoy. And I, I think it's great to reach out to them, but I always, I, I listen to Sarah Spain's That's What She Said podcast a lot. Mm-hmm. And especially women as they are able to be more and more successful and have more, um, more roles. I think not only follow them, but really be able to take in what you like about their style, how their style maybe is similar or different to yours, and then reach out to them with your kind of analysis and and questions um, as it pertains to what it is that you want to do. So it's great. And most of us will take time out to, you know, reach out to someone who's like, hey, I'm, I'm looking to get into this. What advice would you have? But it's even better when we can give that advice with more context. What is it that you're excited about? What is it that you feel is challenging to learn? What types of sports storytelling are you most attracted to? How do you incorporate data? Uh, Things like that, um, that I think make, again, it just makes it easier to give advice once you've done a little bit of homework. So if if you're interested in sports, challenge yourself. Uh, Can you sit through a game that's maybe not your favorite team and really focus in on what either the play-by-play person is saying or what the analyst is saying. Can you anticipate what the rinkside reporter is going to ask or the courtside reporter is going to ask because of how you've analyzed the the first portion of the game? Things like that. And if you can do that and if you have the patience to do that, then start reaching out to other people and ask them how they develop and how they see the game because that's where you're going to get the most information is by being able to have that back and forth and and ask questions as they pertain to how you view the game as opposed to just kind of cold calling that's that's some really good advice I've never actually heard someone you know kind of put it that way and you know I think I'm going to try that myself (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
so those are all the questions that I had for you. Um, you know, where can people find your stuff? You know, where are, you know, where can they follow you? Yeah. So I am on Twitter at E Lindsay zero eight. So that's E L I N D S A Y zero eight. It's my middle name in case anyone was curious, but um, yeah, so that's probably best as far as my writing for women's basketball. I am still with the athletic, very excited to be coming back for this season and have done some off season work as well. And um so you can check us out at The Athletic WNBA. And finally, any hockey coverage that I do outside of my broadcasting usually can be found over at the Nine newsletter. That's uh, the Roman numerals nine as in Title Nine. So, uh, yeah, that's that's just some of the stuff where you can find it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been such a great conversation and I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course, I'm happy to do it. And thank you for inviting me and and for all the work that you do in the sports landscape as well. Wow. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to another episode of Woman Advantage. You can find the podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms, as well as on Twitter at Woman Advantage. You can find me, your host, Hannah, at hburrito92 on Twitter. And you can also find the podcast on Patreon, where we are always looking for new people to help support the work we're doing. Thank you again for listening. We'll catch you next time.